Welcome to Piedmont Arts. I'm Rachel Stewart. After a music director search that has lasted a couple of years, the Charlotte Symphony has announced who the next music director will be. And I'm very pleased to have that person as my guest today on Piedmont Arts. The Charlotte Symphony's 12th music director is Kwame Ryan, who has led the symphony a couple of times this year, most recently in Verdi's Requiem. Kwame, thanks for being with us today. And if you'll bear with me, I'm going to tell people a little bit about your background. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Rachel. Kwame Ryan was born in Canada and grew up in Trinidad. He completed his musical education in Hungary and the UK, where he studied at Cambridge. He was general music director of the Freiburg Opera between 1999 and 2003 and served as musical and artistic director of the National Orchestra of Bordeaux-Aquitaine between 2007 and 2013. He's guest conducted around the world with organizations such as the radio orchestras of Stuttgart and Bavaria, Opera de la Bastille, the Seoul Philharmonic, the London Philharmonia, the Royal Scottish Symphony, the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, the Dallas Symphony Orchestra, the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, and the list goes on. In 2023, uh, he's had debuts with the Opera Theater of St. Louis and the New York Philharmonic and Houston Grand Opera for the world premiere of Intelligence by Jake Heggie. He's won numerous awards, particularly for outstanding work in the field of music education, and he's served as musical director of the National Youth Orchestra of France and as director of the Academy for the Performing Arts at the University of Trinidad and Tobago. And he also has a podcast called The Eight Minute Idea. And that's just some of what you've done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Kwame, it's exciting to be able to announce that you're the next music director uh, of the Charlotte Symphony. And uh, can you talk a little bit about why you wanted this position and, and uh, what attracted you to it? Well, Rachel, my last uh, music directorship, as you mentioned, was in Bordeaux, France. And at the end of that period, I took a breather really from... Uh, music directorship certainly, took the decision to go back home to Trinidad and give something back to the country where I had grown up, uh, which at the time that I left it in my mid-teens did not have an academy for the performing arts. Uh, and I just felt it was very important for me to make a contribution to making that institution as, as strong as it could be. So I left France and went to Trinidad thinking I would be there for two years. And then I kind of got bitten by the bug of supporting young artists in their development and took the position of uh, director of the academy when it was offered to me. So I ended up spending uh, six years as director of that institution. And we're actually just about a year and a half out from the end of my tenure there. So I was coming back to the podium full of zeal and elan to to conduct again full-time really really enjoying myself and then i happened across the charlotte symphony orchestra with which i instantly had just fabulous chemistry i enjoyed working with them musically and really enjoyed spending time with them as people and you know for a conductor that combination the musical uh, excellence and the sort of human connection and then on top of that, a really cool town in Charlotte uh, was just a combination that I couldn't resist. And here we are today. It's interesting when you to hear you talk about the chemistry, because I know bassist uh, Jeffrey Ferdin and principal violist Benjamin Geller uh, 
also said that there was this chemistry that you had. Maybe it's a little hard to describe what that is, but uh, how do you how do you know when you've got chemistry <laughs> with other musicians? Chemistry takes a different form for the conductor with every orchestra. I guess if your listeners can imagine what it would feel like to pick up a musical instrument, you know, a guitar or um, I don't know, a, a violin, you can feel when you put it up to your body, whether it's the right size for you, whether you can reach the strings comfortably, and whether you find that you can easily get the sound of it uh, out of it that you're looking for. The difference, of course, between an inanimate musical instrument and an orchestra is that uh, an orchestra is made up of multiple instruments and instrumental groups, but also multiple personalities, just human beings that have their own ideas and their own needs and desires. Uh, and that's why we speak of it in terms of chemistry, because it's quite intangible what makes that connection work, that the gestures of the conductor, the words of the conductor, the glances of the conductor lead to a, a music making that's fulfilling on both ends. But you know it when you have it. And I guess it's just a question of, you know, stars aligning, circumstances aligning to make that possible. Did you feel that the first time you came? Yes, I did. And I came to the orchestra the first time with a uh, repertoire that was very, very personal to me, really important in my biography. Among other things, we did the Third Symphony by Aaron Copland, which is a piece that I had encountered in my youth uh, when I was playing in the National Youth Orchestra of Great Britain. I was the principal bassist for a few years. And we did that piece and it blew my mind. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. And since then, I had been looking for an opportunity to conduct it, to re-encounter it at this end of my biography um, and have it in my hands. And I put it on a list of repertoire that could potentially uh, go into the first program I did in Charlotte. I honestly did not think that they would select it. There were other much more standard, straight down the middle repertoire pieces on that list. And when uh, the artistic administrator came back to me and said, uh, the orchestra would actually quite like to do Copeland III. I had a feeling. I thought, wow, that's wonderful that they're interested in this work that means so much to me. And so that experience um, was not just meeting an orchestra for the first time, but also re-encountering a piece that had a very, very profound effect on me in my youth. And then to have them play it the way they did was just so moving. Um, and I think that may have been a an auspicious way for our chemistry to be discovered. So that was a sign. It did seem that way to me, yes. So looking ahead, um, you are right now a music director designate, and you become music director for the 24-25 season, I believe. That's right, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, since we were talking about you choosing repertoire, what, what's your process and what are you thinking uh, you might do in the coming year? You know, I have quite eclectic musical tastes, which are the product of my biography. Um, I grew up in the sort of cultural melting part of Trinidad and Tobago, which has a large community of African origin, a large community of Indian origin, but also has significant rep representation from, you know, the European, Chinese, even Syrian and Spanish aspects of the country's history. So my cultural uh, fabric is uh, very checkered, let's say. And when I came to classical music, that was just one of many musics uh, that I found myself attracted to 
and of course the orchestra was a, a, became a passion of mine very early uh, in my youth. So you know, as much as having trained in Europe and lived in Germany for the last twenty odd years, I'm very enamored of you know your Beethoven, Schubert, Schumann, Brahms, all the way through to Mahler and Strauss. I think Charlotte audiences shouldn't be surprised to find representation of the rest of my background in programs, be that classical Indian music or uh, African music or African inspired music. Uh, and certainly, as I've mentioned in the uh, form of Copeland, I really enjoy uh, North American music a lot as well. So it's going to be rich and I think it's going to be uh, an exciting adventure for the orchestra for me and also for our existing and future audiences. How about uh, contemporary composers who are in America or elsewhere? I don't know whether it says this in my biography, but uh, one of my, I mean, not one of my, my only conducting teacher was the very prominent uh, Hungarian composer, conductor, Peter Ertfisch, who's still alive. Uh, he's composed a lot of operas, a lot of concert works, but also conducts the, you know, the greatest orchestras in the world. And so my uh, upbringing as a conductor was really through contemporary music. He dropped all his students in the deep end of the gnarliest repertoire. Let's <laughs> 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 see whether we could swim. And he discovered, and I discovered kind of at the same time, while I was uh, spitting water, that I could swim in that, or I became proficient at, at swimming in that. I certainly had an affinity for learning complex things. Uh, and he noted that. So the first five years of my career, Rachel, was spent exclusively in the contemporary music scene in Europe, conducting the big ensembles that specialize in that repertoire, the Ensemble Moderns, the Klangforum Wiens, Ensemble Recherche, going to all the festivals and really being a test pilot for uh, repertoire that was being birthed through my hands uh, season for season. And it was only when I applied for the job in Freiburg that my repertoire shifted more into the mainstream. And, you know, as much as I changed the center of my repertoire focus in taking that job, I've remained uh, very committed to contributing to the uh, creation and commissioning of uh, new works to nourish the repertoire of today and tomorrow. So we can look forward to some of that, probably. Yes. Definitely. Um, but I would say that I, def I I certainly believe in valuing preservation and innovation in, in equal measure. What do you think some of your priorities will be as music director uh, once you get started? You know, to the extent that the leadership of an organization has a sort of masthead quality, it, it, you know, it's what people see, associate the institution with at the first glance. I hope that the very fact of my appointment uh, will give uh, perhaps many people who've uh, looked at the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra and felt that maybe it wasn't relevant to them or that they wouldn't feel reflected in what it did, will take the opportunity to reconsider that assumption. So that's the first thing. And then I really feel that we then need to back that up. Uh, if that new first impression is one that you know generates curiosity in audiences that we haven't had access to, then I would hope that when they come to a Charlotte Symphony Orchestra performance for the first time, 
live, they will feel that it was worth their while and that they would definitely come again. And you know that's a combination of many things. It's what repertoire is chosen. It's how it's presented. It's the welcome that they experience when they come to the hall. All of those things play a role in making people adhere uh, to an experience and feel that it was meaningful and memorable for them. So those are my sort of headline priorities and then everything else sort of uh, descends from that. Do you see, um, I, and I believe David Fisk has a priority to really get out into the community in ways that the the CSO hasn't done before. I'm sure you've had plenty of conversations with folks at the orchestra about that. Um, do you have any ideas around what that might look like? Yes, well, there is this mobile stage a project that is in the making. It uh, precedes my appointment, uh, but I was incredibly excited to hear about it um, because I do feel that as much as you do want to attract audiences into your own space, you also want to make them feel uh, like you will move towards them. Uh, and that movement, I think, can take many forms. It can be a physical movement, literally, with a mobile stage that comes into their neighborhood. Uh, but it can also be keeping one's antennae up for what audiences are interested and uh, what they what they want to hear and what they want to hear again. Uh, and I hope that that gesture of moving out of our home zone into other people's home zones and other communities' home zones will be taken as a sign uh, that the CSO will come to its audience as much as it wants to attract it. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about that idea. I, I just heard about it recently, but. Um... But basically, it is a, literally a stage that will move around, right? Yes, yes, exactly. It's a stage that one can pack up in the way that one cannot pack up the stage in an orchestra uh, symphony hall uh, and literally move it into a neighborhood uh, to, you know, let people have an experience without having to, uh, you know, go too far away from home. And that's something that I think the orchestra will have uh, recognized as being necessary. Certainly post-COVID, uh, audiences became accustomed to staying at home to be entertained and the sort of the comfort of that. And I think if we can take that step towards their neighborhood uh, and make that uh, step that they take to have a new experience uh, as small as possible, that will be hopefully taken as a, a gesture in the right direction. That's an important point to make that first step as small as possible, because I do think for a lot of people, particularly if you're not um, used to going to concerts in the formal traditional setting, like getting up and getting yourself downtown, you're probably, there's a lot of reasons not to do that. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot of logistical challenge to getting, especially families, you know, if you yeah. have to pack things up, you have to get babysitting or, you know, if it's the right type of concert, get children organized to come along. And if we can reduce that uh, logistical burden um, for young professionals, uh, for uh, seniors, uh, for family, then I think uh, we're going to be giving people every reason to take that step in the direction that their curiosity attracts them. This sort of brings up... Uh... A question that I had written down as, as one that I might ask you is, why is it important to have an orchestra in a community like Charlotte or any community? And what role do you think an organization like the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra or any cultural arts organization plays in a community? I'll give you an example of something I experienced the last time I was in Charlotte. It was just a few weeks ago. I was 
there the week before I was conducting Verdi Requiem. And so I had time off and I was walking through the streets and I saw a lot of people dressed in baby blue t-shirts all going in the same direction. <laughs> I think I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know at the time who they were or where they were going. I just became curious and I started uh, walking with them. And as I saw the direction we were walking and I saw a stadium in the distance, I thought, okay, this may be the, the Charlotte Football Club. This may be soccer. Um, and what I observed was there were two people in front of me that were walking alongside each other, two, two families. And then along the way, they just happened to turn to one another. And one person said, hey, where are you from? And the other party answered and they got into a conversation about sport and then, you know, why they were here and what they'd been doing in the day. And I just thought, wow, that's an amazing power that sport has to bring people together. And I thought about that in terms of our mission at the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra. And I thought that's exactly what I imagine uh, the power of an orchestra and a community being that people come to this locus for a shared experience from different backgrounds, from different jobs, from different walks of life, but they share something in common, which is the love of music. And for me, the step up from sport to a symphony orchestra is that a symphony orchestra can be so chameleonic. It's not always the same game. We can play many, many different games that appeal to many, many different audiences and bring them together in different ways. So in that sense, I do see the function, one of the functions of an orchestra as being a sort of community building entity. I have one more question for you. Um, I, I listened to the first episode of your podcast, The Eight Minute Idea, and you talk about the various uh, and disparate jobs that you've had in your life, like everything from in-flight translator to university professor. And of course, you've had this career in music. And you talk about how you let your curiosity lead you to those different uh, experiences. Can you talk a little bit about this? Is this a personal philosophy of yours to follow your curiosity? Or can you just say a little bit more? I thought it was an interesting idea. Well, it's just been something I've observed about myself over the years. I have tended to uh, take on pursuits that required a lot of energy. And my central job uh, being a, a conductor in itself, but certainly being an operatic or symphonic music director, it takes a lot of energy. And one of the things that one has to deal with uh, in my profession is where is that energy coming from? What keeps it flowing? Um, what avoids burnout? What avoids, you know, just being on empty, on fumes, running on fumes? And I certainly spent uh, you know, a few periods in my life running on fumes. And so when I realized that I could tap an almost endless source of energy by following my curiosity, I started to default to, to that sort of rule of thumb to guide me in what I was going to do next. And so things that I guess in the earlier part of my career, I might've done for strategic reasons or political reasons, on advice from whoever, I started to eschew those and really follow what people call my gut. And for me, my gut is my curiosity and the passion that derives from it. You know, that's why whether it's technology, I'm an you know, insufferable techie, I'm, you can't see, but I'm surrounded by gadgets. 
<laughs> in my studio uh, or you know something diametrically opposite like my interest in yoga and ayurveda which i took up as a student and then ended up pursuing to the point of you know getting a diploma and a teaching license and all of those things have just been me surfing my curiosity uh, all the way into the shore to wherever it leads me it's been a good path up to now and i certainly hope that i'll be able to have a, a similar experience of energy and passion now that i've determined that i need to follow my curiosity all the way to charlotte north carolina yes it'll be interesting to see where that that takes you with this the charlotte symphony so well kwame ryan thank you so much for taking time to talk uh, to me and to wdav listeners uh, today we are really looking forward to having you in charlotte and I believe you are coming in the spring uh, to conduct a concert. Is that right? Yes, there are plans for that to happen. Um, I certainly won't jump the gun and announce it here, but in due course, I'm hoping that there'll be announce an announcement about uh, uh, an appearance uh, in the early part of next year somewhere. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that and uh, would love to have you actually come up to the station at WDAV. So we can I would love to do that, Rachel. I'd love All that. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And uh, and best of luck with this new role. I've been speaking with Kwame Ryan, who is the music director designate. He's just been named as the 12th music director for the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra. It's been great to talk to you today. And uh, again, we look forward to talking to you a lot more. Thank you, Rachel. For Piedmont Arts, I'm Rachel Stewart.